welcome back in listeners to part two of our coverage of the Chain Theater's One Act Festival. We have our final six shows in store for you today with our quick abbreviated interviews, as you recently heard on part one, and we hope you are as excited as we are to share these great shows with you. The Chain Theater's One Act Festival runs now through June 25th, at the Chain Theater, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting chaintheater.org. So with that, why don't we dive in to our first interview of the day. next show joining us is the great show Letters to a Young Cosmonaut, and we have the writer-director Isaac Byrne stopping by to say hello. So, Isaac, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy your show is part of the Chain Theater's one-act festival, Letters to a Young Cosmonaut. Could you tell us a little bit about your show? Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically about someone who is shut up in the space in a space capsule and they, they're not ready. They, they, they don't want to be there. They weren't expecting this. It basically just opens with someone being in a spacesuit, being shot up in the space, much against their protestations. Yeah. I kind of feel like that probably is literally how it happened in the beginning. They're like, yes, I'm on board. <laughs> and then they got in there and they're like, Never mind, never mind, never mind. Wait, now? Wait, hold on. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty I, much I how it I was photos. Let's go back to the photo part. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, how did you come up with the idea for the show? Yeah, I mean, the show is a lot about toxic positivity and, and panic and, and, and mental health. Partly, I just watched, there was some, like, SNL skit about, like, they were making fun of movies, and it was just called Mistakes in Space. And it's just because every little mistake you make in space is like the worst thing um, that you could do. You know, you drop you drop a tool in real life. It's not a big deal. You drop it in space. And now, like, the whole mission is doomed and everyone dies. And so I was thinking a lot about that. I also, I, I love the show uh, Philosophy Tube on YouTube. If you don't know it, Abigail Thorne is a creator. She's also, she's also a playwright. And she had a series of videos from, like, way back years ago on like uh, mental health and men and abuse and trauma and like how it manifests. And she had, she talks about philosophy with like a lot of visual and story metaphors of being a theater artist herself. So I, I got very inspired by this idea in one of hers about like a, a cosmonaut and like mental health and what that metaphor can mean. So I, I wrote the play, I and mean, it's very different from her her show on the topic. And she's aware of it, like it's dedicated to her. You know, I've, I've spoken to her a little bit uh, via Patreon. But yeah, that's, that's kind of where it all came from. I just think it's funny, the idea of, if you, like, it sounds like me, you know, like I can't drive through Midtown without accidentally getting sucked into the Lincoln Tunnel. And I'm just like... <laughs> I, I no, I just nobody. There was no sign, and now I'm like, <laughs> my girlfriend's mad at me. You know, I'm like, it's Jersey. It's it's beautiful. I mean, it's here. It's, it's gonna you be know. great. You know, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go get a sandwich. It's all fine. Yeah. Who hasn't wanted to drive through Trenton in rush hour? You know, I mean, yeah. the Jersey Turnpike is America's Turnpike. 
Oh, it's so true. It's so sad. What is the message or thought you hoping the audiences take away from your show? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that we, even when we're struggling with things like panic or certain depression or, or mental health issues, that you can still actually sort of control some things in your mind. And you can't fix it, can't maybe do it all by yourself, but there, there are ways to sort of look at a situation and help yourself get through something really, really rough or scary. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. And who do you hope have access to your show? The world. Um, I mean, I hope that anyone who... Anyone who maybe is struggling or has struggled and hasn't felt like the, anyone who's felt like they were struggling and they had to hide it, and they didn't have, because it's very much about connecting both like with yourself and with what's actually going on and like understanding that, you know, even in space, you're not alone. I like that. Yeah. It's really great. Thanks. Well, I want to step away from the show for now, and I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better and start by asking, you know, you're a playwright and a director, so what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you or are even some of your favorites? Yeah, I mean, right now, I'm really, I, I was very inspired by a wolf play. I don't know if you get to see it. I'm going to see Wet Brain, which is the same director, Dustin Wells, Playwrights Horizons, but Hansel Jung, who wrote Wolf Play and worked with Dustin, I thought that play was incredible. Uh, it was it was amazing. I thought the direction also was fantastic. I mean, right now, the last few things I've seen from this is no surprise to anyone, but Jackie Sibley's Drury. I mean, she's just writing at this other weird level. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, there's you can go back and read the the latest Pulitzer Prize winners and nothing again any of them but like man fairview is just it's it's they're they're all you know they're on, we're on top of the hill and she's up on the mountaintop like just you know i don't know teaching something yeah what is your favorite theater memory oh wow i don't know i mean there's so many i mean i've been doing this since i was like you know, it's like we're on 30 years now in New York for like 20. You know, I teach acting as well. And that's that's how I make my living. And I think there were a couple of times in, in grad school where I was also teaching. And then I got to see someone on stage in something that we had like created together, like kind of level up. And, and sort of, you know, there's a thing that happens when an actor realizes that they can just embrace what's happening and like you know that they let they let it flow through them in a really beautiful unique way you know i guess it's kind of <laughs> mundane and it's not vague but like th those are really my favorite moments yeah although actually i saw mr burns at playwrights and like i had no idea what i was getting into and that show like i remember in the third act when the the simpsons opera started turning and looking at other people in the audience. We were all just sitting there. I think I think I might have been at the first preview. So we just knew Simpsons. And then like when they started singing, like I just remember looking around and people were like just looking at you like, what is going on? And I remember Mel is like, this is it. 
that's all they're going to do. No one's coming back. There's no more like dialogue. We're just going to have a little Simpsons opera for the whole third act. I, I, that, that was really magical. That was, that was pretty wonderful. I love that. I had no idea there was a show like that. I'm going to have to look into this now. Oh, Mr. Burns. Oh, dude. If you like Wolf play and from what wet brain sounds like, you need to check out Mr. Burns and Washburn. It is wonderful. I'm done. Soul. Well, are there any other productions or projects you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I would say is my company, Theater for the People, you should check us out. It's Theater RE and then the, the number four, thepeople.org. We do a lot of residencies and support of other writers. We have a show coming up in September. We're always doing things to support writers. I have a reading that will be at the Matthew Corzine studio right across the street from the Chain Theater on June 29th. And it is the craziest, most bonkers fever dream like that I've like, I, I write a little crazy anyway. And, but this one is like, I literally sometimes like start writing like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. And that's called MJ. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see things about it. Perfect lead in to my next question, which is if our listeners want more information about letters to a young cosmonaut or about you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? Well, I have a, an amazing social media manager. It's my girlfriend. She's also in the show, Haley Rice. And so if you follow me, like Isaac James Byrne acting on Instagram or Theater for the People on Instagram or Haley Rice, I think she's in, on there as Tales of Hales. You will find out all the information. You can go to IsaacBurn.com if you want to learn more about me. But yeah, the Instagram is great because I don't understand how it works, but she makes it do magic things and give information to people. <laughs> and my final question is, when is Letters to a Young Cosmonaut playing? So we had a total of four performances, and we've already had three. First two were sold out. The third one was also very you know, well attended on Sunday. We have one more show this Saturday at 5. And I do want to say, you know, I know I wrote it and directed it, so maybe a little biased, but this show is, it's, it's really, it's really fun. You know, when you got, when you caught a little bit of magic and Haley Rice, my partner who's in the show is really good. She's very funny. She's very moving. Yeah. And Chris Cornwell did a great job on the sound design. Josh Bob designed the, the helmet with the, the cool lights. So it's a fun show. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with us about this amazing show, Letters to a Young Cosmonaut. Hopefully we'll be able to catch the final show on June 17th, this Saturday at 5 p.m. so excited to now have joining us two of the artistic members of the show Everest we have the composer Julio Vaquero and the book writer and lyricist Momo Akashi Julio Momo welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper thank you for stopping by thank you so much yeah we're very thank you happy for having to us <laughs> I'm excited to learn more about this show, as I'm sure our listeners are as well. 
So why don't I start with you, Momo? Could you tell us a bit about the show? Yeah, absolutely. A musical is set in 1950s Mount Everest. And the story is about mountaineers who try to be the first one to reach the, the Everest summit, risking their lives. So a young mountaineer, Lillian, she's a protagonist and tried to keep climbing up even though she clearly doesn't have enough energy and oxygen to reach the summit. So when she gets some rest on the way to the summit, she meets a mysterious experienced mountaineer and he questions how, why she's so obsessed with the summit. So this is a story about the Lillian is William, who is gradually exploring what she really wants to the journey to the top of the Everest and top of the world. Hmm. How did you come up with the idea for the show? So we read about this, this story about, it's, it's, it's based on an on a actual story, on a, on a real story about George Mallory and Andrew Irving were the first like Western people trying to climb the Everest in the 1920s. And when they were very, very close to the summit, there was like a storm, they lost communication with the base and then they disappeared. And actually the, the body of Mallory was found in 1999, more than 70 years later. And the one of like Irving is still lost. No, nobody has found yet the their body but they found some objects very 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 close to the summit their axe their flags and stuff like that so there is this question of did they reach the top and like did they like die when they were climbing or when we, they were descending after reaching the summit and this is like a, a huge discussion so we were very interested by that story and we wanted to to tell our version of it through this fictional character of Lillian, who is Irving's daughter. So what is the message or thought you're hoping the audience will take away from the show? I hope through a musical, I want to say that having a dream or making a dream come true is not the only way to make us satisfied with our life. Because I also read some articles about the human rights of Everest Sherpa, a guide of the guide of Everest. They engrave danger because mountaineers cannot say, I will give up because they sacrifice a lot to go to the summit. And because of that, some of mountaineers force Sherpa to keep climbing up, even though they both clear that they don't have any ability to do it. So, yeah, so I want to explore the, the purpose, why we have a dream, why we are so obsessed with go to the goal. So that, that's what I'm thinking when I write musical. Who do you hope have access to this show? Mm -hmm. So, well, of course, anybody who is interested in musicals want to have like a good time 
but it is true that all that what Momo said, like at the end of the day, both of us are immigrants here. And that thing of like, you're gonna move to another country, like pursuing something, but like the level of uncertainty that it has and the dangers on it, of it, you know, like all the stuff with the immigration and the, all, all the legal steps and all the things that is like, you, you are not like a fully right citizen, right? Yes, yes. All, all that stuff that is like, maybe this is not play, my place, maybe I have to go back to where, where I came from. So this vision, like, I, I think it's very interested. And, and I think that many people in, in our same situation can reflect on this musical. But of course, anybody else, <laughs> I can, can enjoy a good story. To let our listeners get to know the two of you a little bit better, I want to start by asking both of you, what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you or are some of your favorites? And Julio, if I can stick with you first on this. I guess like I feel constantly inspired by many plays, like from the biggest ones, the uh, smallest ones. For this specific play, like some, some of the theater, like I was living in Poland and some of the like contemporary theater going on there was also like the, the way they structured the stories many times was very, you know, like stroke a, a lot on me. And about musicals, yeah, of course, like I, I think both of us were like inspired by these sounds. So for example, Hate is Sound and some of these like big, big musicals that are right now on, on Broadway. Love that. Momo, what about you? Yeah. Oh, the show I watched inspired me, but I want to say I was especially inspired by Hayao Miyazaki. He is an animation film director of Studio Ghibli. Because I think because I'm born and raised in Japan, so I grew up with his film, with, with his animation films. And his story is always connected with the power of nature, and I think also his story always inspired by the Shinto, uh, Japanese traditional religion. So I, I think my story also inspired his perspective and like relationship with nature and relationship like Shintoism. And I believe every single thing has a spirit, like stone tree has spirit. Of course, mountain has a spirit or God. So I think there's perspective and Hayao Miyazaki's film inspired me a lot. I love that. I want to ask you both my favorite question now, which is what is your favorite theater memory? I remember when I composed my first musical and I was also doing the, the music direction for that musical many years ago. And when I got into the room, you know, with these actors, that they were the first time I, I, I knew them. And okay, let, let's start the rehearsal. And when they suddenly started like singing perfectly well, because they already knew all, all, that, all their parts and singing the music that came out of my mind. So working on a piece of paper and having some melodies in your mind and suddenly hear them like embodied <laughs> in actors and especially how the actors enjoyed that music and how invested they were on them 
is like the community that your idea has created. That was oh, awesome. And like, when that happened, it's like, yeah, this is exact thing I, I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Love that. <laughs> Momo, what about you? I think my answer is very similar with who you're said. I, so when I wrote a song for the first time in my life, I sent the score and demo to, to a singer and he sent back to me. And the song's very different and he brought my song to life. And I can see the word I wrote. I can see the character I wrote. So that, that was very wonderful moment. So I, I really love to do it. Oh, I love that. Both of you, I love those memories. Thank you so much for sharing those. Are there any other projects or productions that either of you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? Next July 12th, the, so I, I'm part of a musical theater lab called Latine, which is for, for Hispanic and Latin people. And uh, they are doing these, these like little, little productions, you know, to show people 15 minutes. They are called the 415 because they're like four plays of 15 minutes. <laughs> and it will happen on July 12th. And I'm presenting with, with another team, a story about some Chilean queer people that have to, you know, like find their way into their society. The story is called Divergentes. It's in Spanish, that's the only <laughs> thing. <laughs> but yeah, and, and that will happen on, on July 12th. So I'm very, like, that's the next thing I'm going to work on. Yeah. Amazing. Love that. Um, oh, and I'm writing a full-length musical with another writing partner. He's Ben Ginsberg. And the story is about Japanese-American architect who designed the Twin Towers. So we will have a stage reading performance this September to tribute the September 11 in Los Angeles. So we are making fun right now. That's amazing. I love that. That's so exciting for both of you. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Well, if our listeners would like more information about Everest or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? In my case, well, I have the social media. I'm not a social media expert, <laughs> but it is at least my Instagram is, is open. You have to look for it for my, my also my second last name, Julio Vaquero Ramos, and also through my webpage. You can listen to my, my work, including Everest. And you can contact me <laughs> at any moment. Yeah, I, I have my Instagram Instagram account too. A, it, it's a little difficult. A-K-O-M-O-M-O-0330. And also I have my website, momoakashi.com. Perfect. <laughs> Finally... When is Everest playing at the Chain One Act Festival? Yeah, that's so the that... most important question. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Julio. Yeah, the, the premiere was already last Thursday, uh, June 8th, but people had the chance to see it again on like this Thursday, June 15th, and next Sunday, 
uh, June 25. Also, if you are not in New York, um, June 25 is also like streaming. So yeah, that, that that's that, that's a very nice thing since you know like people from from our families and stuff can can also like see it from their countries at wacky hours to be honest, but <laughs> but at least it's something yeah. <laughs> and what times are those shows at? For the 15th, the Wednesday 15th, it's 6:30 p.m. and for the 25th, it's 5 p.m. Perfect. Well, Momo and Julio, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing this incredible story, Everest, as well as your incredible upcoming projects. I can tell that we are so fortunate to get on the ground level of two incredible artists that hopefully we will continue to hear more about and get to speak to again. But in the meantime, we look forward to hopefully getting to see Everest at the Chain One Act Festival, either Thursday, June 15th at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday, June 25th at 5 p.m. So hopefully we'll see you there. But thank you both so much. Thank Thank you. you Thank you so much. Next amazing show stopping by today here on Whisper in the Wings is Old School. And we are so fortunate to have the playwright and director Natasha Cobb stopping in to talk to us about it. So Natasha, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) I'm excited to have you and to learn more about this show playing at the Chain One Act Festival. Could you start by telling us a little bit about what Old School is about? Yes. So Old School is about family. The two main characters are nephew and uncle and actually is inspired by a true story. The uncle is based off of my father and nephew is based off of my cousin. And I've always really admired their relationship and how great their bond is. So I wanted to write something that really showed that and expressed how important it is for family to bond and for older family members to connect with younger family members and really share knowledge across generations. I love that. Now, you did say that this is based, I mean, this is a Based on a true story, I I guess is the right word to put it as. So how did you come up with the idea for the show? Well, okay, so it's based on a true story in the sense that some pieces of it are true. They come straight out of my real life, but the story itself is fiction. So it starts with the birth of my mom. That's the beginning of the story. And that bit is true. And then it develops into just... You know, the way that my dad and my cousin interact with one another, just sharing personal tidbits of their own background. And and then the nephew has an extended family, which is also shown in the piece. And his relationship, his family is biracial. And the, the uncle is talking about times when there was Jim Crow in the South and the differences between then and now and how much has changed throughout the generations in the U.S. I love that. Very, very interesting topic to to bring in. What has it been like developing old school? It's been terrific. So this is like a new 
type of project for me. Typically, I write centered around women and Black women and more like mental health issues. So this is completely different for me. I like working with the two main characters, working with male characters and getting to understand, you know, the best way to show a male relationship, even though I'm writing from a female perspective. So it's been really eye-opening for me, and I'm really glad I was able to get into Chain and actually have this developed and experience it with an audience because it's been it's been great to have that feedback. Wonderful. So building on that, what is the message or the thought that you're hoping that the audience takes away from the show? I think it's really two main things. One is the importance of family, how family helps build us up and connects us to our past and, you know, really has a very profound positive impact in our lives. And two, I think for the U.S., I know we've mentioned a lot of things seem to have not changed, but there are some positive changes. And I just wanted to do something that I feel is uplifting and positive and is not just focused on bad things that have happened. I like that. We could all use that these days. And kind of building on that, who do you hope have access to your show? Well, I hope as wide of an audience as possible. I think it's geared towards an American audience, but anyone who wants to learn more about U.S. history or is interested in, you know, Black history or just sort of family relationships, it's really open to everyone. Fabulous. Well, changing it up now, I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And... I want to start by finding out what or who inspires you. So I was thinking about this and actually I went to go see August Wilson's A Piano Lesson a couple months back and that really, you know, August Wilson obviously is incredible, but that really inspired me to think more in terms of writing something about family and the family connection. I really love that show. So that was more like a recent inspiration But in terms of just inspiration, I've been inspired by theater since I was like eight years old. (laughs) When I first saw Cats in in New York City, that was my first Broadway show. So I just loved it when the Cats came on stage and I was like, I have to do this. (laughs) So (laughs) so I've been inspired by, you know, theater from for a long time. I love that. Then what is your favorite part about working in the theater? I mean, I have a lot of different favorite parts. One of my favorite parts recently has been working with actors. So a lot of my work is really centered about characters and the importance of relationships. So I get to work very closely with actors as they develop their character and learning for myself as a director when not to give direction and when to let the actors, you know, do what they do. So... Yes, that's fabulous. And that kind of leads me to my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? 
My favorite theater memory, again, I would have to say Cats when I was eight years old. <laughs> my also favorite theater memory is I actually directed my first play when I was 15 and in high school. And my favorite theater memory is actually the opening night of that show and, you know, having all of my friends really, because those are the only people who would be in my show, <laughs> they all getting on stage and giving me flowers. And it was just like this real really big you know experience for me it was great I love that yes thank you for sharing that memory you're welcome or are there any other projects or productions that you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you oh yes so I am actually doing my first what I'm calling my full length piece is a collection of shorts called Slice of Life. It's going to be in Brooklyn, October 7th and 8th at 3.30, both days at 3.30. And it's at the South Oxford space in the great room. Yes, well, add that to the calendar then. <laughs> if our listeners want more information about old school or about you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? Well, I have a website, natashacobb.com. It has everything I've worked on over the past couple of years. And you can buy tickets to old school on there. And you can contact me, you know, on the contact form. Perfect. And I think my final and most important question is, when is old school being performed at the Chain One Act Festival? Yes, this Sunday, the 18th at 2 p.m., it's being performed live and also live streamed. So you can buy live stream tickets or in-person tickets. And then the final show is on June 18th at 8.30 p.m. Well, perfect. Natasha, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by, share this amazing work, Old School. I'm excited about it. I hope that we and everyone out there can stop by the Chain Theater and catch Old School on Sunday, June 18th at 2 p.m. or Thursday, June 22nd at 8.30 p.m. So thank, thank you so much for stopping by and speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. wonderful group of designers and director and performers involved with the show Hunger. We have the director and playwright Annie Razko, the costumer Elena Kircher, and the actress Jillian Vitko. Ladies, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Thank you. I'm very excited to learn more about the show Hunger. So why don't I start, Annie, with you, the playwright, have you tell us a bit about the show? Sure. So for me, I think something that's been very helpful is to, as a playwright and as a storyteller, is to make your mess your masterpiece. So this is a story that is a long time coming and, and loosely based upon my own life and journey with like disordered eating that I, I had associated with a lot of shame and didn't want to talk about. But I learned, I think through the pandemic that I'm truly a creative person and how I process things is to just make art 
out of the pain. And then through and telling my story, maybe it could alleviate the burden or get people talking about that. So when I was in college, I had an eating disorder. And my parents had told me, if you don't weigh this amount of weight by the time we get to the doctor, we're going to pull you out of school. And I kind of lied. I drank a gallon of water. I put washers in my pocket and I, I made weight. So I was fine, but I wasn't. And so I went through this whole journey of like self-discovery and actually realized like theater saved me and performing and finding refinding this community of artists is where I feel at most home. And so, but it, that was in 2000 five to 2007 it's now 2023 and i'm now writing a play about it and the play is what would have happened if i didn't make weight and i was put in a eating disorder you know clinic or facility and what would that look like and since that's not my lived experience i was fortunate enough to have a former student of mine who had that lived experience who kind of acted as my dramaturg on the project. So the beauty of Google Docs is like, you know, I would start typing and writing and then she would comment like, no, that's not what we would talk about here. Or here's resources and things like that. And then I also reached out and being vulnerable, reached out on Facebook and said, hey, this experience happened to me. If you had something similar or your own story, would you, would you wanna fill out this Google form and just write your story? Do you have a suggestion for the name of a character? And what I would do is take other women's stories and I shaped them and they turned into monologues for some of my characters. So I was really inspired by Eve Ensler and like vagina monologues and good body. And then also like Nora Ephron's Love Loss and What I Wore. So kind of like it is, it, it's a play that has like a narrative arc, but also has moments for pausing and monologues and characters giving testimony. And I love the fact that it's not just my story, but it's more like universal, you know, because we've always been told of like, oh, you know, that's a little tight or sometimes we base our self-worth by a number on a scale. And I just want with this piece to show that like everybody is deserving of love. I love that. Elena, I want to bring yes. you in now and I want to ask what has it been like developing the show? Well, I was actually called in little you know, later in the process, it was, it was a short window and Annie and I have worked together on a number of productions over the years. And she asked if I would be willing to consult. It wasn't really going to be a matter of providing costumes, but, you know, just kind of giving a, a feel for it. So I, I read her script. I, I read the costume of uh, the character descriptions. I looked at pictures of our actresses and I, I just, started doing a search of, you know, for, you know, what I thought they might look like having kind of had this love hate relationship, mostly hate with my scale, my entire life, I kind of understood a lot of, of the feeling and just started doing a search and developed kind of a cost for each character of, you know, who each, each person was and what they might wear in this situation. For instance, we see one person coming in after doing a yoga workout. So what might she be wearing based on her mindset and the activity she was just engaged in? And so I put all of that together and, and sent it to Annie. And then it was sent to the actresses and there was a little give and take. Jillian reached out to me asking about some pieces that she had picked. So there's been some communication, but I didn't actually meet everyone till a tech rehearsal. So it was, it was a different process, but fun. Fantastic. 
And speaking of Jillian, our lovely actress, Jillian, I'd love to ask you now, being the actress playing the roles of Tammy and Clara, if, I were, if I'm reading right, what yes. is the message or the thought you're hoping that the audience is going to take away from the show? I think that I hope the audience, the, the great thing about the show is that there's so many characters. Like Annie said, there's a lot of different perspectives. It's not just one person's story. So I think anyone can see themselves in any number of the characters, any number of their feelings. And the thing is, this is unfortunately a universal feeling that you feel like you're not enough or seeing social media, everyone looks better than you, is doing better than you. So I hope that people can take away, I am enough. I am worthy of love. I am beautiful no matter what. And I can make it, you know, and that's uh, that's kind of the overall theme of the play. And I think it's wonderful and beautiful. And I hope that everyone sees a part of themselves and leaves a little bit more confident. I love that. <laughs> and I'm now wanting to ask a question to all three of you, building on that idea, which is, who do you hope have access to the show? And Annie, I'm going to go back to you first on this one. Sure. I, I think anybody. I would love to have like a packed house. Cause I think also too, I think the actors feed off of the energy of the crowd. And so, and for them to be seen. So I would love people of all ages. This is a story that is all women just because that was my lived experience. And I think, and, and but I know men also feel this way as well, but there is choice language in the show. So I would say like, you know, late teens to, you know, 125 age, age wise of, uh, of, of all people, to come to come see it. Elena, how about you? Who do you hope have access? Um, again, I, I think everyone, one of the things after reading the script and seeing the tech rehearsal, one of the things I said to Annie was, I think so many people will see themselves in this, even if their thing is not an eating disorder because so many people are plagued by lack of self-esteem and not feeling not feeling like they belong and feeling like they're not enough it's so many people i feel like it's a universal struggle so even if you don't necessarily see yourself in the eating disorder you might see yourself in the general feeling of i don't fit anywhere i don't belong anywhere i don't like who i am and I think, and especially this really triggers as a mom, I've raised two you know, adult children now and seeing them, what they went through in adolescence, even in adolescence and through their teen years with the bullying and never feeling like they fit in and not really coming into their own till they were in their twenties. And still, you know, my son still struggles. So I, I think this is something that has a universal theme, the, the theme of not feeling like you're enough. And I also think too, we the one of the lines that one of the, that Jillian is, as Clara says is like we're going to talk about the inner critic, right? And so the way we talk to ourselves, we would not talk to our worst enemy, but that inner voice can be really ugly. And how do you quiet that? And how do you get rid of the imposter syndrome? Right. It's like, I'm not worthy to be in this room with all, you know what I mean? And it's like, how do we get rid of that and just be, you know, kinder to ourselves? I think during the pandemic, self-care was like a really big push for that and taking that time. But it's also like the way we talk about to ourselves. I love that. Jillian, bring us home on this question. Who do you hope have <laughs> access to the show? 
I mean, like everyone said, everyone, of course, but it's interesting because I, you know, play the therapist and art teacher to therapists that are, they're millennials, right? So they're a little, they've been through some stuff and the girls are younger and it's, it's like, even though my characters maybe have moved through some of that stuff, it's still work. Like you still always have to work. So it's interesting. Like I just had a niece, my niece just turned 14 and I want, I can't imagine like growing up and seeing all these photoshopped pictures every waking moment. I mean, yes, like we had magazines, but now it's like, you know, they're always on their phones seeing these photos. So for for that generation, I, I especially hope that they're like, no, I'm enough. Like, I don't need to Photoshop my pictures. I don't I don't need to like put a filter on my life. I am enough as I am. So that's been a really interesting kind of dynamic in the show. Love that. Well, I want to switch things up now and let our listeners get to know the three of you a bit more. And I want to just kick it off with my favorite question, which is what is your favorite theater memory? I think I will always, I will always come back to this is senior year of high school. I was Cinderella in Into the Woods in our high school production where we did the entire thing because there is a junior version of Into the Woods that's just act one. Oh, and that's it. Gosh. And then it's just happy ever after. Goodbye. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? No. And I remember playing Cinderella and it was it was a really challenging role and I loved it. And and Sondheim is a is hard. And like you never know when you're gonna come in. And it's like, ah, is it now? And I think doing that has always been one of my my favorite memories and that's always been like my favorite show my voice teacher at the time linda benanti her her daughter played cinderella on broadway so i felt a connection there and then it came to broadway again and it's just it's it's one of those shows that will always have like a special hold on my heart and i think part of it is the the part that cinderella sings at the end like you aren't no, no one is alone Truly, no one is alone. Sometimes people leave you halfway through the wood. Like that song gets to like ugly, ugly, cathartic cry every single time. And I just think that 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 show and like the fact that I got to do it in high school and that was like my senior yeah. year of high school where there's a lot of change and like I was leaving and it's like, OK, now what? And it's very in the real world scary and it just teaches a lot of life lessons. So that's been that's always been my go to. Love that. Love that. Who would like to go next? I mean, mine is sort of an insane thing to say is my favorite, but I'm going to tell you about it because it, it leaves a mark on me. So when I was in high school, I think I was a junior and I was playing Sarah Brown in Guys and Dolls, which is like very exciting. And it was going great until I got mono and I completely lost my voice. So like we had a a matinee and I was like I don't feel great by that evening I, I sounded like I called it a mix of Elmo and Lucille Ball not bad in like real life but if you're playing Sarah Brown not great <laughs> so we didn't have understudies in high school and so I had to go on as Sarah Brown and just like make my way through it and it was like terrifying but I learned like I can do anything on like after that I can do anything on stage like I'm this you know, 16 year old who like is squawking out beautiful, like soprano, soprano, quote unquote notes. And like the next, you know, I went, I got through the performance. I got a shot of cortisone and the next day my voice was back. So I could sing for our final performance, but like the amount of like people were like, oh my God, like they gave me flowers with like, you're a hero, Jill. 
it was so <laughs> dramatic but like I after that I was like wow I the show must go on and what a great life lesson and I just I, I feel like I will never forget that feeling of both being it it being horrible but also like I'm really proud of myself still for you know pushing through <laughs> love that Elena what is your okay well like Jillian's mine was horrifying I was a sophomore in high school I had a lead role in a musical that had a very brief run on Broadway because my director always liked to pick these obscure things. It was called Plain and Fancy. It had a brief run in the 50s. I played Hilda Miller, who was an Amish girl who was rebelling against her Amish way of life. I had a number in the second act where I decide to just rebel. And I'm going to go, as the song says, to Lancaster and sin. And there are these, yes, it's horrifying. And there were these people who were marooned from New York and her clothes were hanging there. And I had to, during my song, basically strip down to what literally were bloomers and put on her stuff incorrectly. I wore a bra as a necklace. And while I'm doing that, I started singing the third verse of my song where the second verse should be and got lost. And so I looked at the music director. He looked at me. He saw what was happening. He struck up the band. I kind of made it a real dance number, ran off in tears, but I had a quick entrance. So I stood in the back while they redressed me and I had to crawl in under all these dancers and do the next scene. And then I went back out again. And I mean, I was, I was just sobbing backstage and then I had to go back on again and sing another song. And, um, at the end of that show, the only people that knew were all of us and maybe my family that had been there like every day. And after that, I kind of had this feeling like, okay, I survived that. So there's, there's, I'm way stronger than I give myself credit for because I survived it. So, yeah. <laughs> love, I love all of those ladies. Those are fantastic. Fantastic memories. Thank you for sharing all of those. Thank you so much. Are there any other projects or productions that any of you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? I mean, I have lots of shows ongoing. I have a monthly show that I'm in called Street Crime the Musical that I co-produce and I'm in. Every Monday I'm in a show called On the Spot at Broadway Comedy Club. And my solo show, Synesthesia, the musical, is being adapted into a film. You can follow that on Instagram. Synesthesia story. <laughs> I'm going to, I think, be working on turning, because right now Hunger is a one act. I want to turn it into a, a full-length play. And then stay tuned for future things that I have yet to audition for. But fingers crossed. <laughs> At this point, I am uh, sending out portfolios to different theaters to see if I can, you know, some more work I've been doing like medical office work for years so I, I'm trying to really mm. jump into this work now love it finally if our listeners want more information about hunger or about any of you perhaps they'd like to reach out to you how can they do that you can follow me on Instagram at Annie Rasco A-N-N-I-E-R-A-C as in cat Z as in zebra K-O that's a hard name to spell or just email me with that at gmail.com yeah, I'm on Instagram, Jillian Vitko. 
my website is jillianvitco.com. Jillian Vitco is a way to find me. <laughs> I'm on Instagram as well. Elena Kersher, <laughs> just my name. <laughs> and most importantly, when is Hunger performing at the Chain One Act Festival? It is actually performing tomorrow night, June 14th at 8.30 p.m. And Sunday, June 25th at 2 p.m. You go to thechaintheater.org for tickets. We are program number 11. And then if you, if you we lo- who lo- doesn't love a discount? If you use, in all caps, if you type in hunger, you will get a discount ticket price. If you are not available to go see the show, but you would like to live stream it, the 25th is also gonna be our live stream option. So you can watch it and not have to wear pants. And then you can do that in the comfort of your own home or elsewhere if you don't want to wear pants, but then, you know, you might get arrested. I think the 25th is also, there's going to be a talk back afterwards with one of the resident dramaturgs, which is really cool because each, each play will get a time to talk and then the audience could also ask questions. So if you're in the audience on the 25th, you can ask those questions. Love that. Well, Annie, Elena, and Jillian, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by and talk to us about this amazing show, Hunger, which we hope to see Wednesday, June 14th at 8.30 p.m. or Sunday, June 25th at 2 p.m. And if we're going to be there in person, we probably have to wear pants. But we'll hopefully be using that code as well, that promo code HUNGER for some discount tickets. So thanks for offering that. But we appreciate you stopping by and chatting with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. joined by two of the amazing artists involved with the show The Carpet. We have the playwright and actor Gerald Brunner and the director Josh Farner. Gerald and Josh, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks for having us. Very excited to learn about this show, another great show playing at the Chain Theater's One Act Festival. Gerald, let me start with you by having you tell us a bit about The Carpet. Well, The Carpet is about two seemingly misfit reporters on the red carpet movie premiere, and they are trying desperately to get quotes from celebrities who don't want to talk to them. So it's the other side of the velvet ropes, what you might not see. <laughs> and then there are characters like the publicist and the actor and the kid reporter who gets all the exclusives. <laughs> I love that. How did you come up with the idea for this show? Well, this is very much a case of art in I actually, in my other life, I am a uh, a writer and a journalist by trade, and I've spent many years on red carpets covering premieres and openings, and you name it, I've done it on red carpets. So I've seen it so much of it, and it's a fascinating microcosm, if you will, of of the universe 
you know, of how things transpire, whether, and it's almost to me, sometimes it feels like you're back in elementary school on the playground, but just with adults, with a red <laughs> carpet. <laughs> I love that. Josh, let me bring you in now. You are the director of the show. Is there a message or thought you are hoping that audiences take away from this? Well, I do think all in all, I do just want it to be an entertaining experience for our audience. Um, there's a lot of jokes in it. And I, you know, I want people to get a good laugh out of it. But, you know, I do think it's interesting to see that side of the red carpet, you know, and see like it was definitely something I had never really thought about before this play and stuff. And just to think about, you know, how, you know, what that might be like and how in the entertainment industry, it's not everyone is treated fairly. You know, what's funny is that what we just opened last weekend and one friend said, I found it sad and poignant and it was funny but it, to her it was sad and poignant and then to another friend he said it was it was uproarious it was so funny and I love the two sides of the coin that you it's you know that people see it as funny but also has heart I love that <laughs> Josh kind of building off of that I'm wondering who do you hope have access to the carpet I guess maybe anyone who's ever felt a little bit down or discouraged about their career, because, you know, especially, you know, doing anything in the entertainment business, acting, being on the production team, anything, it can be a bit, you know, a bit of a doggy dog world. So I, you know, I hope someone who is feeling down about their career could maybe see this and get a sense of hope from it. As our character finally does at the end, we see it get to see her have a little bit of little glimmer of hope and I've you know certainly been <laughs> had my my days where I've been very discouraged about you know why am I even living in, a, in the city why am I you know trying to do the thing and I, I do think our show can be really encouraging to anyone else who has felt that way before I love that well stepping away from the show and letting our listeners now get to know the two of you a little bit better. I want to know what inspires the two of you. What shows, playwrights, or composers have inspired you or are some of your favorites? Mm. And Gerald, why don't we start with you on that? Well, just coming off the Tony Awards, I mean, I and this incredible season and I feel so blessed that I got I get to cover the Tony Awards. I've covered the Tonys for the past decade, more than a decade, and the Drama Desk and other events connected. And, and I cover theater all year long. So I'm definitely inspired by the theater. I How I loved Kimberly Akimbo this year and Some Like It Hot and A Doll's House. And oh gosh, I could go on and on about some of the shows that, you know, that I just adored. And then I saw Primary Trust recently at Roundabout, which is so gorgeous. So I think stories that show the humanity of people, the, the layers of people, the complexity of people. I love great stories that draw me in. I love beautiful performances. God, I know that's a lot, but I could go on and on. I love 
course, I love Sondheim. And just, I think, my God, the, those turns of phrases, you know, how how can one human write, you, you know, so many, so, you know, I think about finishing the hat and move on and attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. And, and I, I mean, gosh, the Sondheim canon, I think, my goodness, I could go on and on. So I... I, I think about this a lot, like that song, Inevitable Turn in Kimberly Akimbo, you know, where you get the inner life, the inner monologue of all these different characters in a family and how they're, they're basically saying things are great right now, but it could take a turn at any moment. And you have like that, all these different feelings in the course of one song from so many different characters. And that inspires me. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, shout out to Kimberly Akimbo. Yeah, David, to me, <laughs> everyone in the cast, yeah. <laughs> Joshua, what or who inspires you? Well, I am also a big musical guy. I, yeah, um, I literally like, it's my favorite thing about living in New York is just being able to go down to a box office and get rush tickets to a show, you know, and see, then all of a sudden you're seeing a Broadway show. I always, since I was little, I, I've always loved Casey Nicola's work. I saw Book of Mormon when I was probably too young to be seeing it, but, <laughs> um, but I just think the way that he integrates dancing into the story is so, it's one of my favorite things ever. And of course, some like it hot, you know, does a really incredible job of that. But yeah, I, you know, I like, think shows like that but I also do I also do love the smaller shows like you know Kimberly Akembo that are much more story driven I do think you know I still sometimes say it's my favorite musical was uh, Spring Awakening um, that's and yes yeah, and thinking about Michael Arden's Death West production I saw that it was on my 18th birthday I remember and it was life-changing to see the sign sign language integrated into the story like that and it was crazy how well I don't know it was a transformative experience for me to see the way that that sign language could be used as a form of communication but also as kind of a form of choreography in a way as well <laughs> I love that great both of you great inspirations great lists there I want to ask my favorite question to the both of you now which is what is your favorite theater memory I, I guess the, one of the first ones that comes to my mind, it was my fr my freshman year of college and I went to school in Philly, came up for the day to see, to get rush tickets for Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 1812. Um, and that was just, I mean, that, yeah, that show inspires me so much too. I mean, I had never seen anything like it before. I um, mean, I <laughs> reached out to Lucas Steele, who played Anatole on, I think, Facebook or something. And I messaged him and I was like, hey, because he went to, he was a, an alumni for my school. And I was like, hey, I'm at the show. Like, can I meet you afterwards? And he actually mess messaged me back and then gave me like a tour of the backstage and everything. And that was like, that's a really special memory. He was very kind, very gracious. I love that. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, what is backstage of that show? I mean, basically exactly. that a tour of the theater, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gerald, what about you? Well, now it comes to me when I was 13, 
my father took me to one of my first Broadway shows. I, I know I'd seen the chorus line before that. He took me to see Annie. And similar to you, Josh, I had a very personal moment where it was so special because we lived in the suburbs and my parents were divorced. So, and I didn't see my, I didn't live with my father. So we had this special moment where we went to Gallagher's Steakhouse and we were sitting, which is next to the theater. It, I think it was called the Alvin back then. This is in the seventies. God, I'm dating myself. And I'll never forget that Shelley Bruce, who was the second Annie, was sitting literally next at the at the next at the next table, and she just turned her head and she smiled, and it was so magical. And I said, and I was so shy, but I said, I found the courage to say, "I'm going to see Annie tonight," and she said, "Oh, you have to come backstage." And uh, tell them, tell them at the stage door you're here to see Marge and Shelley Bruce. And of course, I love the show and seeing Dorothy Loudon and oh my God, all that that exquisite cast and Lori Beecham and ah, oh, this it was so transforming. And Matt, yeah, that's not when when Lori Beecham was saying NYC and you know, I'd been listening to it on my, on the record player, you know, that 40, you know, an actual album, you know, back then, again, dating myself and just not only feeling the magic of live theater and the fact that here, Annie was similar age to me. I think Shelley Bruce was a similar age and what really was, exquisite was be able to meet her after because it kind of it showed me that you know there are real humans doing this it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before usually you know watching tv or movie you know I wanted to step inside but I literally got to step inside and backstage and I went to her dressing room and she was just so gracious and so lovely. And that was a really beautiful moment that brought, you know, this whole three-dimensional element. And then I just, I want to add, I also saw Mandy Patinkin and Patty Lupone in concert and just the possibility of what they were doing to get singing all their, their songs from the Vita, you know? And I remember just, weeping at the sounds so hokey of of you know watching them sing together at that point you know they'd known each other decades and had this kind of dolphin language together that they sang and spoke together and and it was so beautiful the the level of talent and how they interpreted the songs and I thought gosh I'm witnessing something so extraordinary that was special. Thank you both for sharing those amazing memories. <laughs> Love great backstage stories. <laughs> Are there any other productions or projects either of you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? So I am working on a on a play called a full length play because it's a short. The carpet's a short. I love it. 
Uh, my full-length play is called One Date Love. And it's all about the lengths we go for people to fall in love with us. And it's about a woman who is a fact checker at a magazine and she goes on all these dates who she fact checks. And she thinks if she's gonna, so she fact checks fly fishing and pickle making and architecture terms. And she just goes crazy trying to figure out how people will fall in love with her. And then she finds the one love she never thought was coming, the end. So that's what I'm working on now, One Date Love. Love that. Well, I'm currently trying to get it going, but um, I it's a, a little thing called uh, Cabaret Gay that I have done. I did it at Summerstock. I did it in Philadelphia at one point. So I just wanted to, wanted to, but basically just a celebration of queer musical theater. And so if you're interested, hit me up on Instagram because <laughs> I'm looking for people to be a part of it right now. So yeah, I'm looking for people to sing, to dance, to, I don't know, you could do a monologue if you wanted to. It's a anything goes type of thing. I, I don't want there to be like magic tricks in it, tarot readings, like, you know, kind of like, a, it's almost like a carnival sort of thing as well. Carnival cabaret, if you will. Yes, love it. And a good segue to my next question, which is if our listeners want more information about the carpet or about either of you, maybe they want to reach out to you. How can they do so? Well, for tickets to the carpet, you can go to chaintheater.org and buy tickets for program number nine with the discount code CARPET, which will get, get you what? It's 20% off? 20% off. That's very key to put very in key. the d- CARPET discount code. So, and I could always be reached on my Instagram, which is at Gerald underscore Brunner or uh, GeraldBrunner.com is my website. You can learn more there. Contact me there. And you can contact me on Instagram or TikTok. My username is Joshua Davis Farner on both. And I also do tons of improv throughout the city. I'm on an improv team sure. called Lady Monster. So I'll be posting there. Very cool. About that. And my final and most important question is, when is the carpet playing at the Chain One Act Festival? Oh, thank you. We have a performance this Saturday, June 17th at 2 p.m. And then June 18th at 5 p.m. And it will also be, the show will also be live streamed June 18th at 5 p.m. So you can watch it via live stream. And I think you, I believe you have 72 hours to watch it. So in person or live stream on the 18th at 5. Very cool. Well, Gerald and Joshua, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing this amazing show, The Carpet, and just your wonderful stories and everything. We look forward to hopefully seeing the show Saturday, June 17th at 2 p.m. or Sunday, June 18th at 5 p.m. and definitely using that promo code CARPET for 20% off tickets. Loving a promo code. Thank you both so much.
show stopping by today is a wonderful show, The Den of the Spectacled Bear. And we are being joined by the director, Caitlin Marr, and the <laughs> playwright and performer, Lana Mayer. So we are so excited to have them joining us today. Lana, Caitlin, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for wrapping up our big, big day, big episode. Appreciate you making the time today. Wonderful to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. I am excited to learn more about the den of the spectacled bear. So Lana, I wanted to start with you as the playwright. Could you tell us a little bit more about the show? Sure. So The Den of the Spectacled Bear, it's a short 10-minute play centering on a spectacled bear <laughs> who is introducing the audience to her den and a lot of the different items and belongings that she's very proud of, things she wants to share. And along the way, she accidentally reveals some truths about herself and her space that are maybe not so savory. We sort of get to <laughs> experience all of her anxiety and when, when sort of having somebody over to your home goes wrong. So how did you come up with the idea for the show? I was watching a lot of David Attenborough documentaries, and I've always really enjoyed the way that those documentaries like Blue Planet and Our, Our World or whatever they're called, apply a lot of emotional narrative to animals. <laughs> David will say, you know, like the clam is feeling very down on himself today. And it's like, how would you know? <laughs> but I, 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 I got really interested in reading sort of animal facts and thinking about the way that there are conditions that animals live in or facts about the way that they live that have a lot to do with, with the way that humans are. And spectacled bears being endangered and isolated and living very high up in the mountains and being mostly on or mostly or, or, or herbivorous, mostly herbivores, but not quite always. And between that and being stuck in the house for however many years during COVID, I started having a lot of connections to that idea. So that's sort of where that's sort of where the piece started. And it has just been like a lot of fun to work on it and have an opportunity to share it at this festival. Wonderful. Caitlin, I want to bring you in now and ask what is the message or the thought that you're hoping audiences take away, especially since you're the director of the show? Yeah, I think one of the things that Lana and I talked about is we just want the audience to have a good time. <laughs> but also I think there's ecstasy and despair of having people in your home and in your space. There's negative part of welcoming people in and also a lovely part. So I think just exploring that idea has been really fun. And also, yeah, we just want them to have a good time for 10 minutes. <laughs> and and we welcome them to enjoy our piece. <laughs> I love that. Who do you hope have access to this show? Honestly, everyone's invited to the to the den of the spectacled bear. <laughs> um, Whether they like it or not. <laughs> exactly. This is kind of an absurdist adjacent piece. So I think anyone who enjoys that type of theater will find this really exciting. Lovely. Lon, is there anything you wanted to add to that? regarding uh, who you want to have access? No, I mean, I think it is, it's like a piece that hopefully will appeal to everybody. I think everyone has the experience of feeling isolated or misunderstood or a little bit crazy. And this is a piece that sort of acknowledges that reality for a lot of people and then also gives an opportunity to kind of lighten it up a little. Yeah, and it's 10 minutes. So even if you're, you, you're somebody who can't sit for a long time, 
you're in the right place. <laughs> well, I want to switch things up now and give our listeners a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better and start by asking you both who or what inspires you? Like what playwrights, composers, or shows inspire you or some of your favorites? And Caitlin, can I start with you first on this? Sure. Well, the Tonys happened very recently. So I think, you know, Kimberly Akimbo and is is top of mind, obsessed, and Parade One too. And I loved that revival as well. But I really do enjoy you know, ensemble pieces. So seeing the jungle at St. Anne's Warehouse was really lovely. I'm also a huge Wolves fan, Sarah DeLapp. So I'm a, yeah, I'm a big fan of ensemble pieces. Annie Baker also love her work. So definitely drawn to a lot of female playwrights now that I'm saying (laughs) the names, Amy Herzog. So yeah, those are the ones that come to mind. Love that. Lana, what about you? I mean, I'm sort of, I'm a little all over the place. I, I, I think I found myself, I find myself really drawn to very, no pun intended, but very spectacular theater, color and noise and lights and big moments and kind of dramatic twists and turns. I mean, speaking of ensemble pieces, I think of one of the most, one of the best things I've seen in New York during my time here was the production of Fefu and Her Friends, the Liliana Blaine Cruz production at, at Theater for New Audience a couple years ago. Like if I could see that again, I would love to see that. I also love the play Strange Interlude by Eugene O'Neill, which is just a bunch of monologues and interior monologues, which Caitlin and I actually saw as a one-man show at the Irondale Theater Center, David Greenspan, a couple years ago. So th- those are some of the like big iconic things that come to mind. But I really, I love any kind of theater that I, I go to and, and can walk away with the feeling that I had never seen anything like it before, or uh, especially if you you stand up at the end of the performance and you wish that you could sit down and watch it all again. Those are the that's how you know that you've had a, a great time in the theater. Yes. Well, I want to ask you both now my favorite question, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? I mean, there are so many, but the the one that comes to mind most kind of recently was we actually collaborated together at the Winter One Act Festival at the Chain Theater. We also did another Leon Lone piece called 300 Bones, which is another absurdist adjacent piece. And being in that room with those actors, shout out Jacob, Emily, Mark, and Mina and Lucy, being in that room and just being able to watch them really listen to each other and find moments of generosity between them was truly lovely. And I would do it all over again. Talk about sitting down and doing that again. I would a hundred percent be right back in that room playing middle word and, you know, doing all these games and (laughs) yeah, that, that comes to mind. Love that. That is amazing. Lana, what about you? I mean, now that we're talking about 300 Bones, I'm thinking of all of, I would think we really did have a, a really wonderful time working on that piece in particular. I think one of the re- things I love about writing for the stage as opposed to like in a, a novel or short story or a poetic form is is that at the end of the day, like your piece is not complete until a bunch of different people are involved and the opportunity to, any, any opportunity to go into a rehearsal room with a bunch of really talented people and curious people, strange people, funny people, people from like sort of different perspectives and backgrounds. It's such a cliche phrase, but it's so true. It's like, that's where the magic happens is like kind of at the intersection of all of those experiences and viewpoints and ideas. And 300 Bones was was the kind of work that we, we like, that there was a lot of room for that kind of improvisation and trying something completely random and off the wall and 
there were, there's, I, I think Caitlin, this is going to mean nothing to the listeners, but I remember that moment <laughs> towards the end of 300 phones where we were trying to solve the 1864 or the 1854 line. Like there was some line that just like was bringing everything to a halt and we couldn't figure out how to stage it. And it was kind of a group effort. Everybody had brought a little piece of, of that moment and in, into the moment that it became. And, and then it was one of my favorite parts of the performance. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I would say. I love that. Two amazing memories. Thank you both for sharing those. Are there any other productions or projects that either of you have coming up that we might be able to plug for you? We definitely have things in the works, nothing right on the horizon, but our collaboration is definitely not over. (laughs) So there will be things coming up soon. So watch out for those in the future. We are, we are always, we always have something cooking. I am going to plug, I do run a, a monthly new play and screenplay reading series called The Dove Coat. And for any writers who are working on works in progress and are looking for an opportunity to have that work read aloud in a kind of informal environment, they can email dovecoatseries at gmail.com. That's D-O-V-E. C-O-T-E series, S-E-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. I'm like, do I know how to spell these words? Maybe. Yeah. So we're always looking for new writers and actors to add to the mix. Very cool. And building on that, if our listeners want more information about the Den of the Spectacled Bear or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? So we're program 15 at the Chain Theater Festival. So you can find us at 5 p.m. on this Saturday. This is our last performance on the 17th. And they can also reach out to me at Caitlin Marr, two R's, 22 on Instagram. That's probably the best way to get in contact with us. And how do you spell Caitlin, Caitlin? Oh, yeah. C-A-I-T-L-Y-N-M-A-R-R-22. Perfect. Lana. Caitlin, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and share this wonderful show and your wonderful insight. It's been just, it's been wonderful. All the wonderful. I feel bad. I feel like I need a thesaurus right next to me right now. But I hope we get to catch the the Den of the Spectacled Bear, your final show this Saturday, June 17th at 5 p.m. or any of your upcoming work. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Andrew. This concludes our extended coverage of the Chain Theater's One Act Festival. Hopefully you've enjoyed our interviews with 13 of the shows and you'll be able to catch one of them or one of the many other shows performing at this festival. The Chain Theater One Act Festival is playing now through June 25th at the Chain Theater and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting chaintheater.org. We would like to thank all of our guests that stopped by to chat with us about their show and everyone else who made this possible. And we look forward to supporting all of our artists as well as the wonderful people at the Chain Theater. So hopefully we'll be able to catch you at the Chain Theater's One Act Festival. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater.
in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.